Hi, I'm Paul Germain, your host for Smart Boating. Today's podcast is going to be on spring and fall boating. And joining me today is Brian Pike, the Harbor Master at Manchester by the Sea. Uh, good morning, Paul. Good morning. Good morning. We've got a really uh, important topic here, I think. You know, early boating, spring and fall, early and late boating, I think is a lot of fun because you get uh, cooler temperatures, you get less boat traffic, you get the wildlife that comes up. Uh, however, there's a, a downside to that in terms of the water is a lot cooler and um, y the days are shorter, so you have less light to work with, and there's fewer boaters out there. So if something bad comes up, uh, you have to be more prepared, I think, than you do in the summer to address it. So I thought we'd just kind of run through some of the major categories of what people need to focus on. To, to be safe out there. And the first one that comes to mind to me is uh, personal flotation devices or PFDs, life jackets. That should be the first thing that comes to everyone's mind. Yes. Yeah. So um, I guess the first thing is to get the right one. They have what, types one through five? That's correct. And you want to pick the right one for the application. Uh, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, uh, so type one, your offshore jacket, you're, yeah. you're not going to uh, use those unless you're going offshore and they're right. cumbersome and hot and uh, folks don't like to wear them. Right. Uh, type 2, uh, similar situation. Type 3 is more common, vest type or your auto inflating or inflating the inflating PFDs, ones, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Those are nice because uh, people tend to wear them more, right? Well, absolutely right and uh, that puts you ahead of the game right there if you're wearing it. Uh, rather than pulling it out of trying, a locker. Trying to figure out where it is. Yeah. I, I have a number of, 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 of life preserver type cushions, throwables, mm -hmm. on board my boat or on the different seats. I think that's a good, good idea to have a couple of those close by, right? Absolutely, and it's required if you're over 16 feet in length. That's right, that's right, yeah. And as you just mentioned, you want to wear it and not tuck it away in some place inaccessible. Have you ever seen that sort of situation where people don't they have them close at hand? Over and over and over again, Paul. Yeah. Uh, pull folks over and uh, you can you can time folks to see how long it takes them to get a, a life preserver out of a locker and yeah. whether or not it's still in a protective wrapper and the, with uh, tags still on. Not okay. a good situation not if a good you need situation. it. That's right, especially in the spring and the fall when you have less Precisely. of a margin for area. Okay. Precisely. How about fire extinguishers? So if you're out there, fire, fire at home is bad fire on a boat is worse. Correct. Um, there's different types of fire extinguishers and they're, they tie into the, having a motor on board typically, right? Correct, right. So if you have a boat, you're required to have a type B extinguisher that puts out burning liquid fires, you think a gas fire. Yes. Uh -huh. Okay. All right, so you need a type B. Uh, again, uh, accessibility is a big issue, right? It should be readily accessible. That's how we teach it in our safe boating classes, that your fire extinguisher should be in a readily accessible location. Right. So that's not buried down under the cushions forward of the cabin, right? Under the anchor. <laughs> yeah. Below the boarding ladder. No. No, no. Okay. So keep it accessible. <clears throat> and um, it's a good idea, you know, you, you launch your boat, I don't know, Memorial Day? and go through the season. Now, things could have changed with that fire extinguisher during that time period, right? Mm -hmm. uh, could have been a, a, someone hit it, so it might have physical damage. Or you want to keep your eye on the meter there, right? Right. That little gauge should be in the green at yes. all times. If it's not, it's time to replace or recharge that extinguisher, depending on uh, what you have. Right. 
How about size of extinguisher? Can you get different, the same thing, a B extinguisher in different sizes, and does it make sense to buy one size as opposed to another? Well, you absolutely can get different sizes. And, and again, going back to the safe boating class that I teach, I ask this question. Do you want to buy the small, less expensive one to be in compliance? You're in compliance, right. but when you have the fire and you can't call the fire department, maybe it would be nice to have a larger fire extinguisher oh. with a little more extinguishing capability. A little margin of safety there. Yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. Mm -hmm. All right, so get your PFDs together, get your fire extinguisher together. The next category, which is a Coast Guard requirement, um, but I think you want to pay more attention to it in the spring and the fall boating, has to do with um, visual distress signals. Um, there's different types, right? There's uh, day markers and night mm -hmm. devices? Mm -hmm. yep. There are. Uh, so the day uh, visual markers are uh, smoke. Okay, right, that's yeah. that orange smoke. Right, the orange smoke, right. much more visible during the daylight. Of course, smoke is a little less visible at night. Yes, so that's you, usually so. Right, so yeah. you have the, the meteor flares, the, the red handheld that shoot flames out the top. Right. Uh, and then you have the, the kind that you can shoot into the air and they go in an arc, they, they're a little higher. Not visible for as long, but uh, right. So typically, you get those in a kit, right? Mm, you get them, yes. and they come in the waterproof mm. containers. You get the kind of the, the shotgun style mm -hmm. that goes up in the air, and the, uh, you got a flag, typically in orange smoke, and the pyrotechnics. Mm -hmm. um, probably a good idea to uh, understand how to use them if possible. Absolutely. I know we've done shows on that together before. Uh, and accessibility is another big issue with the flares as well, right? PFDs, flares, uh, visual distress signals, mm -hmm. fire extinguishers, anything that you may need an anchor, all these things should be in a readily accessible location that you can reach easily and or your crew or passengers. Right. And take the time to show those folks what those things are. Right, right, good point. The other thing that strikes me on the... Um, Visual distress signals has to do with expiration dates. Mm. I've been kind of caught by that one myself. They have a typically a three-year expiration, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. And uh, here's a, a little tip. When you purchase your, your new flares to replace your old ones, check those dates on those new flares. Yes, yes, yes. Because they could have been sitting on a retail shelf for Correct. a year or two, and you could only have one, one year left, and that may have passed during the season, right? Correct. So you're going out to do some fall or spring boating. Mm -hmm. You want to have that together. Mm -hmm. How about sound-producing devices? So you're out, I don't know, in inclement weather. It could mm -hmm. be fog. Maybe it gets dark a little earlier than you anticipated. The visibility's not so good. That's another requirement, isn't it? It is, in fact, a requirement that you have an appropriate sound-making uh, device mm -hmm. for the size vessel that you're on. Right. And type of vessel that you're on, sail, power. Okay. Typically, I like those little Freon horns because yeah. they're very compact and they're very powerful, making a lot of noise. Extremely loud. I recommend them. Yes. I also recommend, as a backup, a handheld horn that you can uh, activate by blowing through it. Oh, just a manual yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. hmm. That's a good idea. How about uh, an anchor? I mean, it sounds so simple, but again, I can see situations where, again, an engine dies, maybe even the propeller gets wrapped around a lobster pot. Mm -hmm. They're immobilized, really important to have an anchor at that point. That's another requirement, right? Mm -hmm. It certainly is. Yeah. It's the closest thing that we have to a break right. on a boat. Right. 
that brings us uh, to a halt, hopefully, before <laughs> we careen onto rocks or uh, into another vessel. Or uh, It's vitally important. Especially when there's not many people around. Correct. So, and so when I think of an anchor, I think of, of picking the right type, because there's different types, picking the right size, and keeping an eye on how much chain and how much line I have, right? Correct. So scope is very important. Mm -hmm. uh, again, in safe boating classes, you'll learn that uh, an appropriate amount of scope for a calm day at the beach is 7 to 1. If you're in mm -hmm. 10 feet of water, you need 70 feet of line. Right. During rough weather, you'll want a minimum of 10 to 1. 10 to 1. So that, okay. that 10 feet, all of a sudden, you'd need 100 feet. So how much anchor road or line? you have attached to your anchor. Right, right. And you again, in the that. spring and the fall, you probably want to err on having more rather than less, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Simple thing, uh, paddle or an oar. I know mm -hmm. I keep one on my boat. It's again mandatory on certain size boats. Mm -hmm. I think the smaller boats have, yeah. to, have to keep that mm -hmm. aboard, right? Again, you know, a smaller boat operating along the coast, a paddle or an oar might be all they need to get into the nearest beach and the nearest mm -hmm rocks outcropping or something where they, if they had to get off the boat, they could get off the boat. Correct. Uh, auxiliary propulsion or, or who knows, maybe a means of fending off. Yeah. Uh, right. Right. Okay. So it's good to have that. You know, some pieces of equipment, to the best of my understanding, are not required by the Coast Guard, uh, including the VHF radio. Uh, but that seems, again, when you're doing early and late season boating, to have a fixed and or a portable Sounds like a good idea. It really is. Uh, nothing scarier than being in trouble out on the water and having no means of uh, communicating that you need help. Right, right. So right. VHF radio, for me, is vitally important. Yeah. I like uh, the fixed on the boat. I also like a handheld. And if you're going to get a handheld, mm -hmm. get one that's waterproof yep. and floats. Yes. It was just fairly common these days, mm -hmm. which it wasn't common a few years ago. Correct. And that's a big advantage in an emergency. How about uh, another thing that I don't under, I don't remember being required, charts in a compass. Mm. So, Maybe not required, but certainly mm -hmm. helpful, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the charts and compass used to be the only way to figure out where you were going. Right. And now we have wonderful electronics. They're wonderful right up until they don't work. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, having a chart a compass and the tools to use on a chart and the knowledge uh, how to use them can get you out of a lot of difficult situations. I could bore you with some stories Right. when charts have saved the day after electronics have failed oh, I believe it. in the I fog. Believe. And again, when you don't have many other boaters around to help you, mm -hmm. uh, they become more important. Mm -hmm. um, the final thing that comes to my mind in this area of doing a better job of preparing for early and late boating would be um, oh, a float plan. Mm. In a nutshell, what is a float plan? What do you do with it? Mm -hmm. Why is it important? Right. Float plan, uh, very simply, is a piece of paper or, or even a verbal discussion with someone you know. Or a text. Or a text. Right. Letting folks know, you want to make sure somebody gets the text, yep. huh? <laughs> That's true. Uh, letting folks know where you're going, what kind of a boat, what boat you're going on, who you're going with, yep. what time you're leaving, yep. what time you're going to be back. Yeah. And that if you aren't back by that time, uh, that somebody should be calling 
the Coast Guard right. or the Harbor Master right. to let them know you are overdue. Right, and that helps them by substantially narrowing the search, right? Well, I do like to say that if you don't leave a float plan, the search begins in the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> right, which is a bit, a bit large. Yeah, it's big. big. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, Brian, thank you for joining me today for this kind of recap of some of the more important things mm -hmm. to keep in mind for early and late boating. And uh, I'd like to talk, uh, thank our audience for joining us today, and I hope they'll come back again soon. Well, thanks a lot, Paul. Thanks for having me. You're welcome.